Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Good morning, everybody. My name is David Bruner. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Knox. I'm so glad all of you are uh, with us today, those of you here in person and those of you watching online as well. I want to wish all the dads uh, in the congregation a happy Father's Day today. We're glad you're sharing this day with us. As many of you, yeah. As many of you know, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Life Verse. We are looking at verses that have had a significant impact on individual members of our staff and some of our guests. And so in a little bit, I'm going to read to you one of my very favorite scriptures from Ephesians chapter 3. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, send your Holy Spirit among us in this time. As we hear the message of Holy Scripture, grant that we will understand it, take it to heart, and apply its message in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who is the Word. Amen. Ephesians 3 says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Many years ago, um, I was at a friend's wedding and I started chatting with a person I didn't know. And she asked me what I did for a living and I told her that I was a pastor and she got a look on her face. (laughs) And when you're a pastor, you see this look a lot when you tell people who aren't part of your church what you do. Uh, It's a look that says, I grew up in the church. I am now skeptical about religion and I want to know if you are crazy. (laughs) She didn't wait five seconds before she leaned across the table, looked at me the way a bird of prey looks at a field mouse, and said, so what does Christianity mean to you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, that was my reaction. (laughs) 
I had a, I had a cocktail in one hand. We were about to begin dancing in half an hour, and I had to explain to this dear person what Christianity meant to me. And, and, and I got, I was very lucky in that moment because I wasn't sure what I was gonna say, and so I said, uh, 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 and then I blurted something out, and I said, I believe that God's love is the most powerful thing in the universe. I believe that God's love is the most powerful thing in the universe. And um, when I was driving home in the car later that night, I said to myself, you know, that was not a half bad answer. (laughs) Especially considering the situation I was in, right? Um, I'm sure there's a better way to define the gospel, but as far as coming up with a brief answer off the top of your head, it's pretty good. And in retrospect, I think this passage, the passage from Ephesians 3 we just heard, was rattling around in my head. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is indeed one of my life verses. It's a passage of scripture that I return to again and again, especially verses 20 and 21, which are our memory verse for this week. I really encourage you to commit these verses to memory. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. The message of that passage is exactly what I told that person at the wedding, that God's love is the most powerful thing in the universe. Our passage for today is really just a long benediction. It's a long blessing for Christians in the city of Ephesus. Usually when we do a benediction here at Knox Presbyterian Church, we just do a few sentences. And you know, maybe I could get away with doing this for the benediction once or twice, but I think after that, if I read the whole passage every time, you might be a little annoyed with me. The content of the blessing, the thing the person is wishing for, is that the Christians in Ephesus would come to know more and more of God's infinite love. That's really the main idea. God's love is infinite, and God's love is infinitely powerful. And that word infinite is kind of unusual. It's not a word we use too often in regular life, unless we're waiting in line at the DMV or we're stuck on the expressway in traffic in Chicago in the summer. It's a very important word for our Christian faith. Um, This passage is praying that we will come to know how broad and deep and high and long God's love is, how infinitely it stretches in every direction. And so today I want to try and flesh out that idea, that idea that God's love is infinite. And I want to do so with three points. First, God's love is infinitely broad. Second, God's love is infinitely deep. And third, God's love is infinitely powerful. Infinitely broad, infinitely deep, and infinitely powerful. That's what I'm going to talk about today. So, first point. First thing we have to understand is that the love of God is infinitely broad. Our passage begins with the words, for this reason. Did you notice that? If you're a Bible nerd like me, whenever a passage begins with something like that, you always want to go back and see what it's talking about. There's a reason that is provoking the author of Ephesians to praise God and bless the community at Ephesus. What is it? 
Maybe the answer will surprise you. It is the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles in the church. That's the thing that provokes Ephesians to this effusive praise. In verse 6, Ephesians 3 says, The Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And that's what sets up verse 14 for this reason. Some of you may recall from our previous sermon series, At the Table, um, that in the ancient world, Jews and Gentiles often had an antagonistic relationship. They were not BFFs, okay? Jews often looked down on Gentiles as pagan idolaters, inferior to them as God's chosen people. And Gentiles were happy to return the favor. They often looked down on Jews as arrogant, self-righteous, stand apart, and they were happy to discriminate against them, to oppress them whenever they could. In Ephesians chapter 2, that relationship is famously described as a wall, a wall of hostility that separates Jews and Gentiles, which has finally come down in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2.14, it says this, For Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both Jews and Gentiles into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is, the hostility between us. And as we see in our reading for today, as we saw in the book of Acts, as we see throughout Paul's writings, among the early Christians... Nothing was more astonishing than the fact that through Jesus, God had created a community in which the deep cultural, social, and religious divisions of Jews and Gentiles were reconciled. The early church was just astonished by this. In Jesus Christ, the wall came down. And that is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Today's church has no more important job than witnessing to the fact that Jesus Christ has torn down the wall of hostility. So when the book of Ephesians says that the love of God is broad, that's what it's talking about. Our job in the church is to point to the breadth of God's love, a love that embraces every single person on this earth. To be sure, it is a very challenging job. There are many obstacles that get in the way. For one thing, we live in a society that seems to specialize in building walls of hostility between different groups of people. It's sad to say, but there is good money to be made in keeping people angry and hostile towards one another. If you can keep people angry and afraid, it's easy to keep their attention. It's easy to keep them glued to cable news, easy to keep you listening to your phone for the latest ping that's someone something said on social media. Parts of our society are very invested in keeping those walls of hostility up. And for another thing, real reconciliation, the reconciliation that actually tears down walls of hostility is very difficult to achieve. It is not easy. It isn't achieved by sentimentality, 
by holding hands and pretending everything is all right or papering over our real and important differences. We might call that cheap reconciliation. That's not what Ephesians is talking about. I remember when I was an undergraduate a million years ago, uh, I was on my college campus and I was talking to two of my friends. One of them happened to be white and one of them happened to be black. And I noticed this photographer milling around on the quad where we were talking. I'd never met this person before. She came over and she said, hi, I'm taking photographs for promotional materials for the college. Would you mind just standing right here while I bring over some other people? And she proceeded to bring over two other people of different ethnic groups. One was a South Asian and one was an East Asian. And she said, okay, now you guys talk and laugh like you're having a good time. And so we proceeded to talk, and the whole time it was super awkward, right? We were smiling and going, I hope the college really appreciates this picture. Ha, 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 right? We didn't know them, and they didn't know us. It was not real reconciliation. All right, my college was pretending it was a more reconciled community than it actually was by taking that photo. That's cheap reconciliation. That's not what I'm talking about. The reconciliation Jesus offers us is costly, Jesus died to achieve it. And if we're gonna experience it, we have to be willing to die to ourselves a little bit too. We're gonna have to die to our own selfishness and stubbornness, die to our own self-centeredness and ignorance. We're gonna have to die to the part of each of us that says we can get along as long as you are exactly like me. (laughs) We can get along as long as you don't disagree with me about anything important. That job of proclaiming reconciliation in Christ, proclaiming the breadth of Christ's love is so important today. Our job is to proclaim a love that is so broad and so wide that it can tear down every wall. It can tear down the walls separating races and cultures and ethnicities, black and white, Asian and African, Latin American and European, those who came to this country on the Mayflower, those who came here from Ellis Island, and those who came here three weeks ago. The love of Christ is broad enough to embrace every social and economic status, those struggling to get by and those who retire early, those who drive Lexuses and Teslas and those whose cars barely work. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass men and women, straight and queer, Republicans and Democrats. And here's where it gets really serious. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass people who drive in the left lane at 25 miles above the speed limit and those who drive in the left lane at five miles below the speed limit. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass those who set the thermostat at 68 degrees and those who set it at 74 degrees. And if you've ever been married, you know that's a brutal disagreement. (laughs) Wherever human sin puts up a wall to keep some group of people out of God's kingdom, we're going to find Jesus Christ at work tearing down that wall. I love this poem by a man named Edwin Markham. It goes like this. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, a rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in.
So our first job is to witness to the infinitely broad love of Jesus. The second thing that's going on in this passage is is the testimony that God's love for us is infinitely deep. Infinitely deep. You know that saying that like 70% of an iceberg is below the water? That's why you don't want to run into an iceberg in a boat because as, as big as it is on the surface, it's actually much deeper. People are like icebergs. You know that? 70 or 80% of us is below the surface. In our interactions with one another, we may see some of what's on the surface, but there's always way more going on underneath. And sometimes these are good parts of us, but often it's the bad parts, right? The parts we're not proud of, the parts we keep private and show only to our intimates and close friends. Our anger and resentment, our passionate desire and ambition, our exhaustion or indifference. We often try not to show these parts of our lives to people at work and at school and and often at church. Um, I was reminded of that reality this week uh, because my lovely wife was away on Go and Serve. Um, She had a fantastic time. We were able to talk a little bit during the week. She loved being there. I was at home with the kids. Um, I don't know if you can tell from my general vibe, but I am not the neatest member of our family. Uh, Mr. Absent-Minded Professor here has good intentions, but I always forget. I forget to straighten up. I forget to take out the trash. I woke up one day this week, and I had forgotten to run the dishwasher, and I had forgotten to make coffee. It was a terrible situation. So Becca's coming home on Saturday. What are the kids and I doing on Friday? We're cleaning the house. We're desperately trying to get the house back to pre-mission trip status. Now, Becca knows what we're doing. She knows the house is a mess. And she knows that we know that the house is a mess, but we're still trying to pretend so that when she walks in the door, we can say, oh yes, it was like this all week, honey. No, 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 the the living room floor wasn't covered with Legos until 38 minutes ago. What do you mean? This is how we are with one another in society. We know everybody's got issues, but we like to pretend that that's not true. The good news of Ephesians 3 is that God's love covers all of the iceberg, not just the parts we see on the surface. It covers all of us, not just the good parts. Not only are we unable to hide our real, actual lives from God, but we don't have to. Not only the good parts of you, but the bad parts of you. Not only the attractive parts, but the unattractive ones. Not only the righteous parts, but the sinful parts. Whatever the depth and complexity of your heart, God loves you. Amen? Amen. There's not a single person on this earth that measures up to God's standards. (laughs) But God loves us all anyway. Isn't that incredible. In those amazing words of the Apostle Paul, I quoted in the forgiveness a few minutes ago, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus did not wait for you to get your act together and only then decide to start loving you. He loved you before you knew anything about him. 
and he loves you still. How many of your kids had a special blankie when they were little? Raise your hands. Um, how many of you are adults and still have a special blankie? Okay. Well, maybe. Robin's not sure. We'll see. We'll see. So my, my niece has one of these. She has a special stuffed cow that is called her Moo Moo that goes with her everywhere. And uh, Becca had one when she was a kid. It was just her blankie. It went with her everywhere. Uh, there's a famous story in the Sanders family about how they went to Disneyland and they left it there. And they realized when they were two hours away and then they had to turn around and go back to get it because the world would come to an end. These things are very important. And I saw Becca's blankie once. Um, <laughs> because it was still floating around when we got engaged. And it, it had originally been like this big, right? But it was like, it was tiny, and it was frayed, and there were stains of mysterious provenance all over it, and it was kind of starting to come apart, and it was just the most well-loved object I've ever seen in my whole life. Now, you guys know where this sermon illustration is going. You guys are like that blankie. You may be frayed, you may be imperfect, you may, sometimes you may be close to coming apart, but you are well-loved by Jesus. And our job in the church is not to straighten ourselves up, make ourselves perfect so that we then can be loved by God. It's simply to accept that we are loved by God just the way we are. That's the second point. Here's my final point. God's love is infinitely powerful. God's love is infinitely powerful. Not only is it infinitely broad and infinitely deep, it's infinitely powerful. The power of God's love, Ephesians says, can accomplish far more than all we can ask or imagine. Whatever you can ask for, God's love can do more. Whatever you can imagine, God's love can do more. And here's the kicker. Ephesians says that power is working in us. It says that the power of the Holy Spirit allows Jesus to dwell in our hearts. The same power that created the universe and parted the waters of the Red Sea, the same power that spoke through the prophets and raised Jesus from the dead, that power is at work in you and me. Wow. As imperfect as we are, you and I in the church have been chosen by God to be his ambassadors to be dwelling places for the Holy Spirit, to be a sign and instrument and foretaste of God's kingdom. If we let it, God's power will change us so that we can become more and more of just that, more and more of a sign of God's kingdom, more and more of an ambassador for Christ. Because, friends, God's lo God loves us just the way we are. But God's love never leaves us where we are. Now, when you start talking about God's power and how it can change us, people sometimes get the wrong idea. They think that God's power means you're going to start shooting lightning bolts out of your hands like a Jedi Knight or flying through the air. Maybe you'll finally get that enormous raise that you've been praying for for a long time. I, that's not exactly what God's power is about. 
it's so important that this passage is about God's love. What is omnipotent, what is infinitely powerful about God is his love. And the power at work within us is not the power to do anything we please. It's not the power to lead a successful life and be super rich and make a lot of money. No, it's the power to enable us to love the way Jesus loved. To love humbly, to love courageously, to love persistently. To forgive when someone has wronged you. To serve when no one's looking and you're not getting any credit. To keep working for change when it seems impossible. That's the power at work within us. That's God's power. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, this is, I have a friend named Gary Alloway. There he is. Uh, he was a groomsman at my wedding. My wife, Becca, and I met him when we were master's students at Princeton. He's a great dude. I hope you'll have a chance to meet him someday. He is the pastor at Redemption Church. Redemption Church is a small church in Bristol, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. He started it about 15 years ago. And when Gary moved to Bristol to start this church, Bristol was, it had a serious case of the blahs, is the best way to put it. It wasn't like Naperville, where there's so much positive going on and everybody is happy to live there. No, Bristol was economically depressed. It was pretty blue collar, run down, down at the heels. And it was spiritually, if, if not spiritually dead, it was on life support. The town's main drag was full of boarded up businesses that no one patronized. And the town's churches were all dying or mostly dead. There were barely any people in them. And Gary told me that when he moved to Bristol during those first couple of years, there was this profound sense of cynicism in the community. You'd talk about doing something good for the community and everybody would just kind of laugh and be like, well, that's, that's a nice idea. It's never gonna happen. Never gonna happen here. Nothing good can happen in our town. And it, honestly, it was not the most promising place to start a church. I remember visiting him several times in those early years and being like, is this a good idea, Gary? Are you sure you want to do this? But God was calling him. And as the church slowly grew, they sought out ways to bless their community. And they kept looking at this main drag downtown with all the boarded up businesses. And they finally had this idea to start a coffee shop and one day, two people wandered into their community, and Gary got to know them and, and said, what do you guys do? And they said, oh, we, we work in the coffee industry, and we're kind of looking for a new job. And he said, aha, let me talk to you, right? So they started this brand new coffee shop on the main drag in this town. It's called Calm Waters Coffee. There it is. I've been there. It's amazing. They serve excellent espresso. They brew their own beans right there. Um, and Gary said when this coffee shop opened, there was a palpable change in the energy in the community. Not just in the church, but in people who had never been to Redemption Church, but lived in Bristol. They said to themselves, wait a second, this, this is in our town and it's good. What? Maybe something good can happen in Bristol. Wow. And believe it or not, that coffee shop was the first step in a dramatic change in that downtown Bristol area. 
If you go there today, it is like downtown Naperville. There are like Mexican restaurants and a tea shop and there's this hipster tattoo parlor that I can't go into because I don't have any tattoos. It's really cool. And it all started because Redemption Church started a coffee shop. Now, if you'd asked the people of Bristol 15 years ago if their downtown would look totally different today, and if it was all going to start with a coffee shop begun by a church, they would have laughed at you. They would have said, you're insane. But it happened. The infinite power of God was at work through Redemption Church to bless that community. They believed that God's love was capable of more than they could ask or imagine. And it was. So I just ask you today, what does it look like for you to believe in your life that God's love is capable of more than you can ask or imagine? Just pray about that this week and then act on it. In a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism. And we're gonna see these promises of love laid out for two new members of our church. We can celebrate that as well. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.